Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ah, young Bella. Immortality becomes you. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Another unhinged performance from Michael Sheen. Of course, today we're looking at Breaking Dawn Part 2, the movie, and that just that, that line reading of, <laughs> I don't even know if that was a line in the script, but he did it. He did it. And the way every single fucking vampire in this whole saga thinks because Bella is called Bella that she's Italian. Like I get maybe Arrow's Italian, but why did, why did he hit that line? Just that one word, Bella, so hard, so Italian. It's like when they cooked her Italian because they thought she was Italian. The, these people were humans once. They live in the world. How do they not know things? Here he is saying, hello, Bella, hello, Elora Bella, can I meet your child? <laughs> that laughter. Was it laugh? Was it glee? I don't know what the fuck it was. But give that man an Oscar. At least a nomination. He carried this saga. Carried this saga. Oh, I have so many thoughts about this movie. L- let's get into it. <laughs> so we start with the opening credits and it's all like really bloody. Not like actual blood, but like everything's red and it's the landscapes, blah, blah, fucking blah. And then she wakes up, she's a vampire. And I don't even think her eyes are that red. You know, in the book, it was like, oh my God, my eyes are so red. I'm never going to get used to looking at myself in the mirror with these big eyes. And it's like, eh, they don't even seem that red. And just as she describes it in the book, she's like zooming in on things. She's got super hearing. She's got a nice little lash lift on. But unlike the book, they don't seem to be that worried. You know how like the Cullens in the book were like worried that she'd go on like a bloodthirsty rampage. Instead, Edward's just there and he's like, oh, hi, Bells. And they just like hold hands for a little bit. And he's like, oh, I like your lash lift. Like, I'm, I'm glad we slapped that mascara on your corpse. And she hugs him a little bit too hard. And he's like, um, ouch, like go easy on me. And she's like, oh, sorry. And she's like, oh, well, can I see Renesmee? And he's like, you know what? You probably should go and drink some blood first. And then as soon as he says that she might be thirsty, she like, grasps her throat and she's like, oh my God, I actually, actually I am really thirsty. Like, well, you weren't two seconds ago, but as soon as he said you might be thirsty, she's playing it up and she's like, yeah, I am. And then they're gone for a joyride run throughout the forest. They're just bypassing owls and squirrels, just trying to find something bigger. And I'm like, can we get her some blood ASAP? But they're hooting, they're hollering, they're running up hills and jumping over canyons. It's a laugh a bloody minute. It's a laugh riot. And then she gets a little whiff of that mountain climber. So this mountain climber who's free climbing, I guess, that's a brave man. I didn't see any ropes or harnesses. And she starts clawing up the wall to try and reach him. And this guy, I don't know, does he have headphones in? Because he doesn't seemingly hear that there's this predator climbing up the wall rapidly, like underneath him. And then Edward's like, oh, hey, Bells, maybe you don't want to kill this guy. And she's like, you know what? I don't. And so she jumps off the cliff. Meanwhile, this guy's oblivious. Ob fucking livius. If it were me and I was climbing up a mountain and I saw someone like 
climbing up behind me in, in a super speed with bloodlust in their eyes, you know what I'd say? I'd say this. <laughs> so she gets that under control and she goes off and she kills a deer instead. And Edward's like, wow, that's crazy. You've got super control. And she's like, woohoo, what a great talent. Then they go back to the house and Jacob's there. And Bella's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's like, well, uh, they sent me out to be a little taste test for you to see if you're gonna kill the kid or not. And you know what? The movie changed a lot of things about the book. This is something that they could have maybe punched up a little bit. Like it still doesn't make sense that they'd send the person who stinks like a dirty, dirty dog, the person who smells unappealing to Bella to test her control on whether or not she'd kill a human. I don't know if that's the test they think it is. And I know they changed things with this movie, mostly for the better, because they took a book that was just standing in a field and they jazzed it up a little bit with a battle, which we wanted, even though it's pointless because it was all a dream. But visually, it was more interesting than in the book. Anyway, so she passes the test where she doesn't kill the werewolf. So she goes in, she meets Renesmee and oh my God, jump scare. That CGI baby is horrific. And the thing is, Bella's not a real vampire. You know what I mean? Like Kristen Stewart isn't a vampire. She doesn't have impulse control issues where she might actually kill a baby on set. So can we get an actual baby on set? We don't need this CGI monstrosity. Just get a fucking kid. They used to do it all the time on Friends. Whenever one of them had a baby, you know what? They used a baby as an actor. There's no good reason for for why this CGI monstrosity exists. Oh, jump scare. Horrifying. Kill it. And then we get that great scene where she's all like, you nicknamed my baby after the Loch Ness Monster, rah, 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 because she realizes that Jacob's imprinted on her. (laughs) And he's like, it's a wolf thing. And she's like, oh no. So she charges him outside. She's throwing him around and they're all loving it. Edward's cackling. Edward looks so happy to see it. Like, I think it was cathartic for him to see Bella push Jacob around. He was loving it. He was yakking it up. And poor Taylor Lautner, he was really trying to sell it. They gave him a bum fucking steer and he was just, he's not the best actor, but with every inch of himself, he was trying to commit to the bit. But you know, they have words and then she gets over it immediately, (laughs) immediately. And then they're like, oh, Bella, happy birthday. And she's like, no, no, I'm not old. I'm not old. And they're like, just have the fucking present. And so they give her a key to the cabin. I still don't know why that cabin needs a key. Who's robbing these vampires? Can they not protect themselves from cat burglars? Like, I don't know. Well, she's got a case. So they go to the cabin and we get the sex scene. And it's basically just extreme close-ups, like a blurry little montage of body parts, but really just their heads. He's like rubbing his thumb over a lip and brushing a face. I'm like, can we, can we pan down to some butt? At least some crack? I'd love to see some crack. But nah, nah. And then they've got a roaring fireplace because they, they feel cold all of a sudden. I'm starting to think the director of this film just assumed that vampires feel the cold because at the end, in the confrontation in the snow, have you seen what the Volturi are wearing? They're wearing fucking fur coats, hoods, just really extravagant winter wear. And there's, there's no good reason for it. So they mentioned to Jacob that they have to leave Forks because no one can see Bella because they'll be like, oh, if we're faking her death, she can't just be walking around town, that'd be crazy. But yeah, we'll come back in like another 50 years. (laughs) No one will remember Bella then and we'll just come back. Carlisle's like, yeah, we always come back. Don't worry about it. And Jacob's like, no, no, that's not gonna sit right with me. So he goes to Charlie's house. He just storms the Capitol, just rides his motorbike over. Charlie's chopping wood. I don't know if we had the budget for an interior scene in the house or not, but he's chopping wood. And Jacob... Oh, I know he's trying to break it to Charlie that he's supernatural, but the way he does it really makes it sound like Bella's dead. Charlie's like, oh, is Bella? And Jacob's like, yeah, um, oh God, I don't know how to say this. And Charlie's like, oh God, she's dead. And he's like, no, 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 she's not dead. But I do have something to say to you. And he strips off. Oh boy. Oh boy. As soon as he started taking off his clothes, you know what? My reaction was... Just full on strips down and oh, oh, I'm team Jacob again. There, there you go. There you go. All of a sudden I'm back to being team Jacob. Oh boy. <laughs> and even Charlie was, he was a bit like, no, Jacob, what are you doing? Don't, don't take your clothes off. But part of him was like, damn, he's keeping it tight. You can tell Charlie, he admired him a little bit. 
Anyway, and then he turns into a wolf, which Charlie, I think, was less freaked out about him turning into an animal than he was about him taking off his clothes. But Charlie's very adaptable. He's like, oh, okay, so he just turned into a wolf. All right. And then he's just going to come over by the house and visit Bella. And they're not explicitly saying that she's a vampire because then, I don't know, that's breaking a vampire law or whatever. Like when Arrow reads Edward's mind back in the field, he should have seen all of this. So that would have been like at least a little bit of pretext for him to be like, well, I'm going to go kill Charlie just to piss you guys off. But I guess it was small fry and he never wanted to bother. Because as much as they're not saying like, oh, she's a vampire, it's pretty obvious. I mean, she does still wear contacts. The contact lens storyline is still in the film. And then we get the human classes. They're teaching her how to be a human, (laughs) even though she was one three days ago. (laughs) They're teaching her how to be a human. Oh, and one of them says to her, move your shoulders so it looks like you're breathing. And I'm even more confused now whether or not they breathe. Because in the book, it was a whole big thing where she was trying not to breathe, but then she had to breathe and then she smelled him and she was like, oh no. Or is like, do the vampires just not need to breathe? Or like, is she faking it because she doesn't do it? Or I don't know. I don't know. I still really can't quite figure out whether they breathe or not. And so Charlie comes in and she's just sitting there. Like, I know she doesn't want to show off how quick and vampirific she is, but stand up. Like, what are you doing? Get up. Say hi to your fucking dad, give him a hug. And then they bring out the baby, that haunting jump scare baby. And Charlie, yeah, he takes it really well. He's like, oh, hi. He's like, oh, so this is your, uh, your adopted niece that also has Bella's eyes. They haven't fixed that dialogue. I don't, I don't know what's going on in Charlie's mind, but again, that actor, he's just trying to sell it. They all know what shit they're working with and they're selling it. And it's a great movie. <laughs> I hated every second of it. Five stars. It's just, it's just such a good movie. So with Charlie out of the way, we get the fun little scene where Bella arm wrestles Emmett. That was good to watch. I enjoyed that. And then she starts doing a voiceover all of a sudden. I don't know why 30 minutes into the movie, she starts doing a voiceover narration. <laughs> like this movie. <laughs> you can't just start a voiceover 30 minutes in. Am I going crazy? No, she's talking about how she's been reborn as a vampire, blah, blah, blah. She's standing in a ray of sunshine, not even glittering. Like, I, I, not, not a shimmer, not a glitter, nothing. Then we get that scene where Renesmee's catching snowflakes and Arena's watching from a distance. And Arena's like, fuck this, that's a vampire baby. And they're talking about how they're going to Brazil. So Bella says, oh, Edward thinks we'll find answers in Brazil because the tribes there might know something. And I'm really confused because I felt like we were just reading the book and it was a big like shock to Arrow and to Edward that half breeds exist. Apparently Edward did not have enough knowledge about potential other half breeds so that it was a shock for Arrow and Arrow didn't see it coming. And yet, but but they knew, they must've known something if they knew to go to Brazil. And then even though Arena saw that and ran off, you'd think they'd be panicked. But no, they go back to the house for a little, piano lesson. We get a nice quick break in the action for them to play heart and soul on the piano. Like that was precious. And have you noticed also like throughout this whole film so far, they've really glossed over the fact that Renesmee drinks blood. They never really like cut to her devouring a deer or anything. They just happily exclude that from the film. And then we go to Volterra, just catching up with the little vamps in Volterra. And this is when Arena's like, oh, the Cullens have done something bad. And all the vampires, they're like, yes. Arrow's like, <laughs> and then we cut back to Alice dropping the vase. And she's like, oh shit, they're coming. As if she didn't see Arena going to Volterra. Arena had made a decision to report them. And, and, and she had no qualms seeing that. But as soon as they make a decision in Volterra, that's when Alice gets the vision. It still doesn't make sense to me. So the Volturi, they activate. They're like, yes, this gives us everything we've been waiting for. Let's go straight to Forks and confront them in a few weeks. They're like, we can't wait to take the Cullens down a peg. Let's give them time to mobilize and assemble an army. Why? Why? Why did they take so long? You know, they could have won if they didn't take so long. Instead, they gave these stupid Cullens the opportunity and the time to go all around the world recruiting. And they, I don't know how Rosalie and Emmett had all the time to go to Ireland and back. Carlisle went to Egypt and back. 
so quickly, but the Volturi couldn't organize a one-way trip from Volterra to Forks in the time that they're doing all their round trips. Do they not have enough frequent flyer miles? Like what's, what took them so long? That's the biggest plot hole of the movie and of which there are many, but that one really grinds my gears. And then we get a flashback to the big deal about the immortal children. We get that great, great gif of Jane chucking a baby into a fire. And oh, that made me laugh. I am so team Jane. She is so relatable, queen. And the Cullens are talking and they're all stressed. They're like, no one can stand against Jane. Jane is so unstoppable. And I'm like, bitch, Bella stood up against Jane when she was a human. Can we not start maybe thinking about how she's a shield? Like, can we get to that? Can we fast forward? But they're like, oh, Jane, no one's ever been able to withstand her. Bella has. You're talking to someone who has withstood her. And so then Alice racks off. Sam has to deliver the letter on the Merchant of Venice book paper, which Bella sees, but thinks nothing of for for weeks. I don't know why, why it took her so long to maybe figure that out. Or like the the movie pacing wise, they were just like, you know what? Let's not explore the Jay Jenks thing. Let's not dangle the Jay Jenks carrot because it's only going to lead to disappointment. So, okay, for that, I'm thankful. So she just parks that. She just assumes that Alice couldn't find a notepad and she had to use the Merchant of Venice. So freaking random. Oh, and Alice also has the goal to say, they will come as soon as the snow sticks to the ground or some bullshit. And I'm like, can you not give a definitive date, please, Alice? Can you not maybe show me a calendar and and give me a timestamp? Meanwhile, the snow's already on the ground, so I don't know what the fuck you're talking about anyway. Oh, drives me crazy. And one of the good changes that I liked in the film was Edward, Bella, Renesmee, and Jacob, they go to Denali to recruit the Denali clan. In the books, they just ring up and then they come on over and it's a piece of piss. But at least we've got a little bit more action with at least them traveling to Alaska and back. Not super necessary, but uh, it was nice to see. But I think the main problem is that child's freaking hideous. That is a terrifying, terrifying child. And I think it's an actual actress at this point, not a CGI monstrosity, but they've put like, I don't know, an ugly filter on her or like a, a demonic CGI thing with her forehead. She looks uncanny, absolutely horrifying. And I wouldn't let that little thing touch my face. No way. She goes up and she like touches Tenya's face. And if if a little demon spawn that looks like that tried to touch me, I'd slap its hand away. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Call it child abuse, but I would not let that little fucker touch me. She looks so scary. So then we're with Carlisle and Esme visiting Egypt and they're recruiting Rami Malek for the fight. Rami Malek plays Benjamin and he's full on water bending, throwing around water into nice shapes. And you know what? Seeing it in the movie makes me realize that it's completely ridiculous for a vampire to have that skill. Completely, completely ridiculous. I don't know why seeing the future and reading minds is more believable, but this one, it just, it's too X-Men for me. Like, I'm sorry. But no, okay, so they come back to Forks. Renesmee touches Rami's face and Rami's like, well, you've convinced me. And okay, everyone's just letting her touch their face. The Amazons come, she touches their face. She's touching the Irish people's face. A lot of face touching. And in a post-COVID world, like, I don't think you do that anymore. I don't think Renesmee's superpower of touching people's faces and showing them images, I don't think that survived COVID. I think everything would have changed in March of 2020, if you ask me. And does she have to touch people's faces? I don't know if that was ever specified, I assume she could just touch anywhere on their body, but she just likes to go for the face for some reason. She's a weird kid. She is a weird kid and the Volturi should kill her. Oh, and then Garrett comes. I tell you what, this Garrett was really grinding my gears because, okay, the one thing we know about him is that he was a patriot. He fought in the Revolutionary War and you know what? You know how we know that? Because he'll tell you 500 fucking times. When we touch base with him, He's murdering an English person. An English person just walking down the street, minding their own business, singing a little song. And he goes, shut up. I hated the first British invasion and I hate the second one even more. It's like, okay, we get it. You're a patriot. Like, why is that your whole personality? Like you're really linking it to a British invasion. And Emmett and Rosalie, they like interrupt Garrett. And Emmett's like, surely you don't hate the Beatles, Garrett. And Garrett's like, yeah, they're all right, but I 
Um, I'll come with you guys. Let me just finish killing this guy. And you'd think they'd stop him. Like Emmett was really on board for interrupting him when he wanted to clarify whether or not Garrett liked the Beatles. But when he was killing this guy, Emmett was just like zipped his lip, zipped his lip. You can hear him like tearing this guy's throat apart. And Emmett's just like looking off camera being like, what can you do with a little shrug? He's like, yeah, I can defend the Beatles. I can defend the honor of fucking Ringo Starr, but I can't defend this poor guy getting killed in an alley. Nuh-uh. But no, okay, so Garrett fought in Yorktown, the Battle of Yorktown, which is kind of fun because I know that from Hamilton. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, he was there. And later on, he's saying how he was at this battle and that war and he fought in this battle. And I'm like, okay, mate, but like, were you in daylight during all of those battles? Like some of those battles must have happened in the daytime. How are you not glimmering and shimmering? I guess that plot point's been dropped from the movie, so it doesn't really matter. But like, tell me why the Cullens have to live in Forks because it's the rainiest town in America, but Garrett can go off, be fighting in the Vietnam War and fighting in every fucking war. In the day, it doesn't make no sense to me. And then, okay, all the other nomads arrive, including those two characters that had no personality traits attached to them. Was it like Mary and Peter or something? (laughs) Whatever happened to them? (laughs) We didn't really get closure on them, did we? Oh, well. Um, and Alistair comes and he's broody. He's a lot younger than I thought. In the books, I was kind of imagining Alistair to just be this like gross old man, but this Alistair, I don't know. He's still a little bit gross, but he's not unattractive. Oh, and while people are coming and Bella's catching us up on narration, she also mentions that the wolves are growing bigger in number. More people are turning into wolves because of the presence of the vampires, which is nice that she knew that going into the battle, whereas it was a surprise in the book. And then, okay, speaking of surprises, they realize that Bella's a shield. Pretty quickly, they sort of clock that she has a shield power and then she starts doing training for it. Zafrina makes Edward see a CGI rainforest and Bella's like, I don't see anything. And it's like, oh, okay, you're a shield, we get it. But also they were standing in a forest. They were standing in like a normal forest And Zafrina was like, oh, I know, I'll just be crazy and make them see the Amazonian rainforest. It's like, it's not that far off. It's still just fucking trees and animals. Make them see something wildly different, Zafrina. Okay, who cares? Kate and Garrett, they flirt. She zaps him and he likes it. It's fucking Garrett. And then Stefan and Vlad, they come over and they're, they're dweebs. Remember how in the book they were meant to be like, looking really weird and translucent-y because they petrified because they sat still for so long. And they even still tell that story. And yet they don't look that, that translucent or petrified. They look like fucking weirdo dweebs, but they don't look like pieces of translucent paper. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And so now that all the vampires are arrived, Edward tries to give everyone a pep talk about, you know, Carlisle won't ask you to fight, but I wouldn't mind if you fought for me. And they're like, eh. And they start to declare and say, all right, all right, we'll help, we'll witness, blah, blah, blah. And Garrett, uh, Garrett, he says, it's not the first time I've fought a king's rule. And it's like, okay, we get it. You were at the Battle of Yorktown. You don't need to keep bringing it up. So then we cut to, for some reason, the Volturi are interrogating people. I don't know where they've gone, but they're interrogating this guy. Toshiro, his name is. So I don't know where they went to go and find Toshiro. But instead of just going to Forks, they're hunting down Toshiro and they're saying to Toshiro, they're like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go and hang out with Carlisle? And he's like, no, I'm not going to join the Cullens, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, why bother with Toshiro? Leave Toshiro out of this. Get your asses to Washington. What are you doing? Ugh. I don't know. Maybe the filmmakers were just using this as an excuse to show off Alex mist power, which is still in mist form for some reason, but it's a black mist. It's like the smoke monster from Lost. And then at the Cullens house, they're all strategizing and Bella's like, geez, oh, I wish I could use my shield power to shield the rest of you. And Garrett's like, oh, that would have been good. I also had a shield when I was in the Revolutionary Wars. And they're like, oh, damn it. And then Tanya's like, wait a minute. Why don't you use your shield for everyone else? And Bella's like, what? Then, okay, Tanya is the one that has the bright idea to maybe try training her to expand her shield power. I don't know. I don't know why they didn't try that earlier, but okay, now she's trying it. And it's the thing where Kate's trying to zap Edward to demonstrate it. She doesn't try and zap Renesme. I think maybe they were like, oh, that's too far. We can't zap a kid. Whereas if I saw Kate zap Renesme in this movie, I would have loved it. I would have been like. <laughs> so all this shield practicing's going on. Meanwhile, she still hasn't thought twice about the Merchant of Venice note. She hasn't realized that that's a clue. She's barely visiting Charlie. She's just got a one track mind and her mind is on her shield power. So then finally, 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 she's looking at Alice's note again. I guess she just reads it all the time. She's just rereading it for, I don't know. I don't know for what reason. Edward tries to flirt with her while she's staring at this piece of paper. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to run us a bath. I guess their skin gets dirty. I've never quite thought about whether or not the vampires shower, but all right. Well, they're having a bath, whether for form or for function. I think they're going to have sex in the bath is what Edward's trying to get at. And she's like, okay, go run the bath. And then she's looking at the piece of paper. She's looking at it. She's looking at it. And then she turns it around and she's like, the Merchant of Venice, hey. And finally she twigs that that is a bit weird that she wrote from a page from a book. This is dumb, dumb. She's like, hang on a tick. Then she goes and she gets the Merchant of Venice out of her bookcase. She opens it up and she's like, oh yeah, this is a page torn out of the book. Whoa. And then she looks at the next page and it says, Jay Jenks, Seattle, destroy this. And she throws it into the fire, the conveniently placed fireplace that they don't need to keep warm. I bet Alice was watching this being like, why did it take her weeks, weeks to figure that out? Alice must be so disappointed in Bella. So disappointed. But okay, we finally got the hint of Jay Jenks. So she drops Jacob and Renesmee off at Charlie's house. Meanwhile, Charlie's there with Sue. Remember how in the book she was like, I've got a feeling that Charlie and Sue are dating. And it it could not be more obvious in the film. Like at Christmas, she's sitting in his lap. So I think at least movie Bella has twigged that they're dating. But on that, do we not think it's weird that Charlie's dating his dead best friend's widow? Like, I don't think Harry died that long ago. And Charlie's already moved in on Sue. That feels a little bit tacky. So she goes straight to the fancy building in Seattle. She's meeting Jay Jenks at a restaurant. We don't go to the slum. We don't get that whole slum storyline. And she also doesn't really know what the hell's going on. She just meets Jay Jenks and he's like, oh, hi, I pretty much know you guys are vampires. Jasper's already put in an order for some fake documents before he left. And I'm delivering them to you right now. So that cuts out the need for her to come back a few weeks later. The movie's really streamlining the Jay Jenks storyline, which surprisingly took up chapters and chapters of the book. But the director of this movie was like, nah, you're getting a scene of Jay Jenks and that's it. But I think this little change in the text has convinced her even more that she's going to die in this battle because she just assumes that Alice has seen 
that her and Edward would die and that's why she needs documents, which I guess was the implication in the book, but with her jumping to her own conclusions in the book, it sort of made it a little bit more vague, whereas in the movie, she's got no, no thoughts of her own. And this is all part of Alice's master plan. So she packs a to-go bag as per usual, and she writes a letter and Alistair's watching. And, I, and she has this weir- weird little moment with Alistair that I don't think anyone was asking for. And they're doing that in the craft room. Remember in the last movie, we, we saw the craft room and there was that giant pair of scissors. And I distinctly remember talking about that giant pair of scissors for like minutes and minutes on this podcast, because it just blew me out. Like, why was there a giant pair of scissors? And now for this scene, again, all I could focus on was that giant pair of scissors. What, why? What ribbon cutting ceremony are they going to? I don't, I don't understand it. So then we go to Christmas day. I assume the Volturi are just yucking it up. Maybe on their way across the Atlantic, they stopped at New York and caught a matinee or something because they're just enjoying their time traveling to Washington. And cause we know from the book as well, they don't get there until like New Year's Eve or something. I think the big battle happens on New Year's Eve and this is Christmas. So we've still got like another week of them just waiting around for the battle to come, even though the battle will never come. Oh, and the most obnoxious thing, Edward and Bella give Charlie like a present and they say, oh, it's a five day fishing trip. You leave tomorrow. And it's like, all right, well, I get that you want to get him out of fucking town, but you can't just give someone a trip for tomorrow. Also, I don't know where you're sending him, but I hope it's warm because it's December. It is snowing outside. Who wants to go fishing in that? I think that's the worst present ever. If anyone who knows me and loves me in real life is listening to this, don't get me a surprise trip for the next day. Get me a trip by all means, but give me a couple of months to sort my shit. Also, if we're going by the book where the battle happens on New Year's Eve, this five day fishing trip doesn't even protect him. The whole point is to get him out of town. But let's, okay, so the, the trip starts on the 26th, then the 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th. Yeah, he's back on New Year's Eve anyway. So yeah, gr- great plan. You protect Charlie for all of five days with a Volturi aren't even in town. Ah, uh, oh, this movie, it's really frustrating. Again, hated every second of it. Five stars. <laughs> great film. And so then they go, they're at a bonfire. Okay, I think the movie have changed it. And it's like the battle's the next day. Because now they're at a bonfire. Again, don't know why the vampires are warming up in front of the fire. They don't feel fucking cold. And here's where Garrett's like, I was in this war. I was in this rebellion. I was in this war. Just bragging, bragging, bragging. Stefan and Vladimir are like, yeah, we petrified, even though they look fine. I love that they're bonding over the campfire. I guess they were feeling cold too. So they're like, all right, let's go spin a yarn. Let's go tell some stories by the fire. Whip out the marshmallows. And then the next day we're on the field. And the Volturi are here already. And Garrett, he goes, here come the redcoats. We get it, Garrett. We get it. Drop it. God, name a more annoying character. Name one. I can't stand that, Garrett. So the Volturi come in their winter best, in their furs, in their coats. And they, they do look fashionable and fun. I, I'm still team Volturi. And Carlisle comes out and he's like, arrow, arrow. He says, she's not an immortal. I don't know if he turned Irish or something, but he goes, she's not an immortal, immortal. I, I don't, I can't pick the accent, but please go and watch it. Carlisle, he's like, she's not immortal. I don't know if the actor was just struggling with that word, but it came out crazy, but not as crazy as Arrow being like, Bella. Bella, ciao, Bella. So beautiful to see you, Bella. Allora. So we get the talky-talky happy talk, just like we do in the book. It's a little bit more condensed. Arena dies. Rest in peace, Arena, the only casualty of this whole conflict. God bless her. Bella gets her shield power on. She gets full mastery over that shield power. And that really rattles Jane. Jane with the crunchy eyeliner. She is like really trying to use her pain power on people. And the thing that I hate about Jane is, for her to use her pain power, she has to stare at someone and say, pain. Like she has to say it out loud. Like how embarrassing. No one else has to describe their power or use a buzzword for their power in order to activate it. Bella's not going around being like shield. (laughs) It's just so, so cringe Jane. So yeah, Arrow meets the kid and squeals over her heartbeat. (laughs) Garrett doesn't make his big speech and thank God, because he probably would have just talked about how he was in bloody the battle of Yorktown. 
It would have just given everyone a history lesson on all the battles he's been involved with, so I'm glad they cut his speech. Other than that, it's mostly same same until Alice comes. So Alice does the whole, oh, I've got evidence, let me show you, and he touches her. And so this is all a con. This is a way for them as the filmmakers to make it more exciting because they got the manuscript from Steph and they were like, well, that's fucking boring. The battle that you're talking about for the whole film slash half of the book never happens. So they said, not on our watch. We're gonna dupe the audience into thinking what's happening is real when really it's all of Alice's vision because it traces back to the point where she's touching Arrow's hand. Of course, I don't really get the mechanics of Alice's visions because like if this is happening, like there's so many choices dependent on it, blah, blah, fucking blah. I don't see how any of this could actually realistically happen in the book's logic at least. But as far as the film goes, switch that brain off and enjoy because it is actually a really fun battle to watch. Even though it's all pointless and it was all a dream, it's actually really fun to watch, especially with how it starts with Alice like kicking Arrow in the face. She kicks him and he goes flying, which is just so good to see. And I can't imagine what watching this live, like at a midnight screening on opening night would have been like, but it would have been such a thrill because at that point you could be like, oh, that was a fun change from the book. But as soon as Carlisle starts flying towards Arrow and Arrow rips his head off, I I, I don't know how I would have reacted. I would have gone fucking nuts. Again, a part of me is like, oh, it's really obvious that this is just a vision of Alice's. Like, surely they're not going to kill off Carlisle. Like, they've kept so many shitty plot points in the book. Like, they're not going to change it up so bad that they're going to kill Carlisle. But again, switch that brain off and just enjoy it because, God, it's fun. Oh, what a gag. Face crack of the century seeing Carlisle get decapitated. So once Carlisle's cocked it, the gloves are off. Everyone's running it at everyone. Lots of people are dying. It's actually quite hard to keep track, especially with the wolves. A few of the wolves die and I'm like, I don't know who that is. Like, I'm sorry, I can't differentiate between Leah and Seth in wolf form. I get that they're important characters. We see Jacob like reacting that some of them have died. And I'm like, I don't know who they are. Like Soz. I know Sam's like the black furred one. And that's about it. And they've had to change Bella's power from being like, a dome slash cling film on people within her dome because now everyone's mixed amongst each other. So she just like radiates a shield power in a certain direction or something. I don't know. So she's trying to block people. She's blocking Jane, but Alec knocks her over so she can no longer shield. And then like, since she dropped the ball there, then Jasper gets decapitated. Like, oh, so's Jasper. Jasper's death really pisses Emmett off. So Emmett kills Alec. He, he decapitates Alec. A lot of decapitations. And That pisses Jane off. So she's like, I'm going to go and use my pain power on people. And I'm like, yeah, hurry up. Why are you standing around the field, Jane, watching shit happen? Gets to stepping. Meanwhile, Jacob's running off with Nessie. They're getting chased. Kate's zapping people. Zafrina's presumably showing people nice, pretty images of the rainforest. Could she maybe do that on more people, perhaps? It doesn't seem like she's working all that hard because everyone still seems to have sight. It's, It's very frustrating. Yeah, a wolf gets choked out. That's very sad if I knew who it was. I don't know, let's, let's say it's Quill. So Quill dies and then, I don't know, Embry sees that and starts howling. And I guess that howl tr- triggers a message to all the other wolves, even though I thought they had a mind connection, so they all should know about it already. But apparently they don't know about it until this wolf that may or may not be Embry sees it and howls a message to everyone. I don't know, did they drop the telepathic wolf connection in the movie? That, that doesn't seem to come up ever again. Anyway, so that pisses Jacob off. So he kills a few vampires. Finally, mid-battle, Rami Malek remembers that he can manipulate the elements, but he does that by like creating a huge like chasm in the earth, which leads down into like lava. Where where did this lava come from? Are they on a volcanic location? I, I don't know, but Bella's like kicking people into the chasm. Edward's almost fallen into a chasm. There's a lot of chasm work with people falling into the lava. And I'm like, Rami Malek, you could do anything. You can manipulate fire. You can throw water at people. Why is the one thing you chose to do to create an earthquake? How, how does that help? How does that help? Because it's killing half of your own people, not just the Volturi. A wolf just went down it. Embry perhaps just carked it, which pisses off Sam. So Sam's starting to attack more people. I love how they're all getting motivated by their friends dying. It's not enough that they're just inherently motivated to try and win this battle. They all have to have a moment where they see someone they love getting killed. Meanwhile, Arrow's just watching the whole thing. Proud as punch, not getting involved, just watching. Edward's decapitating Felix or Dimitri or someone. 
Jane's standing there just like, wow, what's going on? Just like really being useless. And so that's when Alice, she's like, I've got my moment. I'm going to take down Jane. So Alice is running at Jane. Bella's targeting her shield power on Alice only for some reason, not the whole lot of them. And so Jane's like, I've got to fucking run. I don't know why she's so terrified of Alice, but she's running. And then Sam in wolf form, he's like, I'll tag team with you, Alice. So he and Alice tag team and kill Jane. That's a wrap on Jane. That actually stirs an emotion out of Arrow. He's like, "Uh uh-oh. He's like, I quite like Jane. Tenya and Garrett are then fighting Caius. And Tenya, she gets Caius and she just like rips his upper jaw from his bottom jaw. Just completely like jaw capitates them. What is a decapitation when it's from the jaw? I don't know. But that was pretty cool. And then the two Bulgarians or Romanians or whatever the fuck they are, Stefan and Vlad, they run for Marcus. And I don't quite know what happens there, but they seem to both attack Marcus from the side. And he, I don't know, he like wants to die because he's like, finally, which is kind of funny. So he gets like split in half or something. And I think he maybe kills the two Romanians at the same time. I'm a bit unclear on what happens to the Romanians. Also, a lot of people are just losing body parts, but they're not actually getting burned. I specifically remember, and like at the end of Eclipse, which again, no one remembers, but also at like the end of Twilight, it was made clear to us that they have to be dismembered and then burned. There doesn't seem to be any burning happening. So I don't know, is anyone really dead? Who knows, who cares? There's barely anyone left. So now Arrow's like, all right, I'm gonna get in on the game. So he's like, I'm gonna take down Edward. And Bella and Edward are like, not on our watch, bud. And Edward just like throws Bella at Arrow and like kicks him in the face. Then Arrow's throwing Bella into Edward. Bella's just being used like a bloody rag doll. And finally they pop off Arrow's head like he's like a Barbie doll. They just pop it off. And Bella throws flame at Arrow. So he's the one vampire that they're actually making an effort to burn. And that's where the vision ends. And we're back in the field with everyone alive, except for Arena. Rest in peace, Arena. And Arrow's like, rot row, we're going to lose the battle. So now Arrow's just like, ah, better not. So, I mean, that was super exciting for us. Although I think I do need to watch it like six more times because I don't know what happened to like Rosalie. I don't know where Esme was at. I don't know which of them was Dimitri. The whole, we've got to kill Dimitri first because he's a tracker storyline that seems to have faded into the background. But if I knew the characters better, I'd, I don't know, I'd enjoy watching that battle a bit more. But it was a good battle. Anyway, so Alice is like, yep, that's a vision of the future do with that what you will. And then she also calls Nahul and I don't know, what's the face? So what's the face and Nahul? They have no urgency. They just start walking slowly. The slowest walk I've ever seen through the snow to get to the summer in the middle. Could they not have run or not even a run, just a light jog or even just a power walk? No, they they are sauntering. Just no urgency, just the slowest pace I've ever seen. And Alice is like, here's my witnesses. They're from this Brazilian tribe, blah, blah, blah. So we get the backstory on Nahul. He just says a vampire seduced my mother and my mother died giving birth to me. And then I bit my aunt and now she's a vampire as well. The storyline of Johan creating a, like a super race of half-breed vampires in Brazil, they sort of leave that out. Nahul's like, it's a need to know basis. And then Bella's piping up from her faction at the other end of the field. And she's like, when did you get fully old? And he's like, uh, like after seven years, like I'm, I'm 150 years old now. Like any more questions from Bella? Bella's checked out. She's already assumed they've won the battle. So Arrow's like, I got to yeet out of here. Bye. Everyone lives except for Arena. And then the dawn breaks. I guess that's them tying in the title of the book. And then we cut back to the Cullen's house. All the vampires are leaving, including like Mary. Mary, oh, if only we got to know you better, but okay, that's a wrap on Mary. She just walks off into the forest. Then we get this moment between Jacob and Edward. Now we didn't get the moment where Edward says, I love you son or some bullshit like he did in the book. But now Jacob says something like, oh, should I call you dad? Do I have to call you dad? In the context of them being like, oh, Renez may all be fully grown in seven years. Just fully openly acknowledging that he's gonna bang her. We also don't get the clarification that the werewolves aren't actually werewolves because I think one of them in this postmortem references them as werewolves and doesn't get corrected. So, all right, the werewolves in the movie are just werewolves. They're not just shape-shifting wolves. So, all right. So then Renesmee, Bella, Jacob and Edward are just like standing and talking to each other and Alice is watching them all creepily. And she has a vision 
of them standing at a beach and Renesmee's fully grown, again implying that Renesmee and Jacob are going to fuck one day, or at least get married one day with all that, with all that entails. But I'm thinking she should not have been able to see that vision because her powers don't work against werewolves or Renesmee. And then I'm thinking she shouldn't have seen that whole entire fucking battle. You know how we just had like a 10 minute battle sequence that was a part of her vision? She's not meant to be able to see wolves. She should not have been able to see any of that. Remember when Bella jumped off a cliff? The presence of Jacob in that moment meant that Alice could not see any future for Bella. That's why they thought Bella was dead because Alice could not see her at all because Jacob was with her. And now we've got like 38 freaking wolves in a battle and she can see every single thing. She was even seeing side plots in that vision. She was, she has got 20-20 vision on those wolves now and Renesmee. So like, that's the biggest plot hole of the movie. Again, I'll kind of allow it because it made it exciting at least, but no, if we're, if we're going by book logic and even movie logic, she should not have seen anything in that vision. That should not have happened. So then we go to Bella and Edward in the meadow, which is kind of cute. I mean, and they're kind of cute. They're in the meadow and like a thousand years that song is playing and it's meant to be like all sad and shit. And she's like, I, I've been practicing expanding my shield to not shield me. And so she starts giving him a little flashback montage of the previous movies which is meant to be all cute, but like she's also flashing back to like that period of deep dark depression and when she jumped off the cliff and I'm thinking like, maybe you could have left that out. Like you could have stuck to the happy moments when you're trying to give a montage fan edit to your boyfriend. But it's even more wild because now we're seeing Edward Cullen's hair in like five different hairstyles. Each time there was a new director, (laughs) he looks different. (laughs) Vampires are meant to stay the same, but whatever. Like we even cut to the moment where he left her in the forest. Like surely you'd leave that out, Bells. Surely, because that would only bum him out. But no, we cut back to the present and he's all, (laughs) so he loved it. And she's like, yeah, we can keep trying. We have forever. And then like all of a sudden the camera's lingering on like the pages of a book and it's the book breaking dawn and we see the words forever, which feels like a fourth wall break here. And then we get the end credits, which are kind of nice because there's like little movable images of all of the characters and who they're played by to the song A Thousand Years. And we start with like Toshiro and I'm like, oh, okay. Toshiro had a couple of lines of dialogue a few scenes earlier. I, I guess he's made the final cut for the edit. But then we're getting like Tony trucks as Mary and Bill, what's his face as Randall. And I'm like, Mary and Randall, I don't give a fuck about Mary and Randall, but at least they were in this movie. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll allow it. You know, Amun and Kebby get a feature, Senna and Zafrina get a feature. McKenna's been cut out of the film, by the way. Rami Malek gets a moment. All of these great new characters we've met in this film get their credit. Carmen and Alizar, Alistair, Kate and Tanya. Garrett, the revolutionary. Jay Jenks even gets a credit. I'm like, oh, good for Jay Jenks. Then we get Quare. And I'm thinking, Quare? Quare? The woman that was in one scene in Breaking Dawn part one when she was at Isle Esme, Quare? She wasn't even in this fucking movie. I was thinking, why have they got Quare getting the credit? And I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's because she was in Breaking Dawn part one and they're looking at it holistically. They're like, all right, these credits can encompass both part one and part two. I'm like, all right, I'll allow it. Like one big movie. Quare, good for you, Quare. You're getting a shout out. But then we're getting Emily. Emily. We haven't seen Emily since like New Fucking Moon. And then, and then we get James and Laurent and Victoria. And then like freaking Brie Tanner's getting involved. Brie Tanner? Where's Brie Tanner in the credits? These people were not in this movie. Oh, okay. Then Bryce Dallas Howard as Victoria gets the call up again. All right, so we've got two Victorias in the credits, two freaking Victorias. And then Mike Newton's getting the call out, Mike and Jess, Mike and Jess and Angela and what's his face? Oh, thank God they got a bloody feature in the credits. They weren't in this movie at all, but they got a feature in the credits. Did anyone not get a feature in the credits? Like maybe, the, maybe the science teacher, the science teacher from that biology class didn't make the cut. Like, where do you draw the line? How's Quare getting involved? But that guy that almost ran over her with the truck in Twilight, he didn't get a featured credit. No special moment for whatever his name was. I don't know. And then you finally get the main characters who we actually care about. They get a little credit and that's kind of nice. It's a, it's a bit extra. It's a bit extra. It's very long and drawn out, but it's kind of cute. It's kind of cute. 
And for like the big three, Jacob, Edward and Bella, you see pages of the book and then their name written in the book comes out and then it's like, Robert Pattinson is Edward. Kristen Stewart is Bella Swan. And I still hate the naming Bella Swan. Bella. Like she called a swan because she's an ugly duckling that becomes a swan by the end of the saga. Like how freaking obvious do you want to be? Anyway, that's it. That's the movie. That's it. Hated every second of it. Five stars. Loved it. What did you guys think? Let me know. As I said last week, this might be uh, the end of the main feed getting new content. I'm taking a step back and I'm just going to be focusing on Midnight Sun on the Patreon, which has started and I'm loving it. Go to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books for access and get in on the Midnight Sun content, as well as all the other books that have been uploaded there over the past couple of years. And so for the free feed, I'll be dropping in my recaps of Insurgent, which is one of the books that I covered on Patreon a while ago. So please continue to listen. Head over to Patreon if you want to get the new content and all of the other content without waiting. And also the Fifty Shades of Grey content, which got taken down. So that might be a wrap for me on the free feed, but we'll see. And please continue to keep in touch over on Patreon or on the socials. All right. Thank you for listening. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.